0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be breaking down the sixth episode of The Last of Us, an episode called Kin. Also, I'll be providing some of the recommendations. I had actually recorded a long recommendation segment for Valentine's Day, which had science fiction, horror, unconventional romantic comedies. I've actually abbreviated down here, but I did promise it last week, so I will be giving you a shortened version of it. First of all, because maybe I'll save some of these for a broader discussion in the future. Second of all, because Valentine's Day has come and gone, so it doesn't seem as appropriate. But I did promise to give you some recommendations, so I might as well give you some right at the top of this episode. Of course, we continue to cover Your Honor on the same podcast feed. And I want to call out the fact that we will also be in this weekend episode of the show, be discussing a new sci-fi horror comedy starring Christoph Waltz on Amazon Prime I believe the entire season of the show will be available at once and that series is called The Consultant and I will be reviewing that this week so if you want to follow along feel free to watch that as well I believe it will be premiering on Thursday night and we are now just about a month out from the premieres of Succession and Yellow Jackets, both shows that will be will be running concurrently and we will be covering both of them here in our podcast. Make sure you subscribe. You'll get notifications when all those episodes become available. Make sure you check out our back catalog for coverage of Speaking of the Consultant, a show that it reminded me of and the reason it came up on my radar, Severance, one of our most popular series here on the podcast. And coming back for a second season, so maybe just to tide us over, we get Amazon Prime's The Consultant. We also are discussing shrinking. I do plan to have a conversation with my friend Sarah, who's a psychotherapist and has been a guest here on the podcast before to get her feedback on that Apple TV Plus series, a series that Sona has been enjoying even more than I have, although I have enjoyed it myself, from some of the creative team from Ted Lasso. And of course, Ted Lasso is also coming back in just about a month and we'll be covering that show here in some ways, dipping into that show throughout its season. I had a rough experience of season two There were highs and lows, but I did think that in the end, I did appreciate that series, especially two really strong episodes towards the end of the season. All that is to come, but for now, before we get into our breakdown of this episode of The Last of Us, I did have that list of recommendations, but even before then, one more thing to cover. I have seen the new Marvel Ant-Man movie, and here's my brief feelings about the film. No spoilers here, by the way. I do not want to spoil this. I will almost certainly have a broader conversation about this film, probably not right now, but once the new Marvel series start to roll out, because I do have many, many questions about how this massively successful, the most successful movie franchise of all times, this Marvel Cinematic Universe, and where it's at right now at the end of this phase four, as they've called it, and now the beginning with this movie, Ant-Man, Quantumania, this beginning of a new multiverse cycle and I am concerned about the direction of this franchise. First of all, I almost intentionally went into the film wanting to not like it. (laughs) I had heard some pretty negative reviews for it. This is one of the rare Marvel films that has not gotten fresh certification via Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that means that much, because there are many, many of those films that I think are not that great that have fresh certifications. So I, as a skeptic, was feeling I probably was not going to like this I have actually liked the first two Ant Man movies. My daughter is pretty young, so when she was very young, just when she was just a baby, the only films that she really engaged with, or I even wanted, I even wanted to show her, were the Ant Man films that were pretty family friendly in comparison to, for example, the violence that can be in the Avengers films. So I do have a warm place in my heart for this character and for this series of films. All that's to say that, despite that, I felt that I was not going to like this film. And ironically, I did end up liking it. So I'm going to say a lot of negative things now about the the film itself, but still in the context that I actually did end up enjoying this overall, even though strangely enough, it really didn't feel like the lighthearted Ant-Man movies that we had had the first two trials out. There was already some darkness in that second Ant-Man movie, but in general, the stakes seemed pretty low and it was pretty family friendly. And it's funny because even though in the moment, I pretty much did enjoy my experience of watching the film- I can almost only have negative things to say about it in this particular moment. As I mentioned, the lighthearted nature what made the first Ant-Man movie, for example, so charming, is mostly missing here. We go immediately into this quantum realm very early in the film, and the whole entire film takes place in this CGI environment. Literally, from a production standpoint, I almost feel like this whole thing was shot. The special effects could have been shot at any time, could have been pre built almost without a script, since so many of these sequences in the film are non sequiturs. And then you just have reaction shots from these stars. And oftentimes, whether it's Michelle Pfeiffer, whether it is Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly playing the Wasp, honestly, everybody but Michael Douglas, even Catherine Newton, now recast as the Casey Lang character, is either hooded or masked in most of their action sequences, where it honestly feels like they really didn't even need to shoot that many scenes. They could have probably shot most of their scenes in a few weeks. They oftentimes didn't even need to interact. So the film really feels like it is so constructed, it's so piecemeal. And part of that is that it's doing so much setting up of this multiverse storyline with this new villain Kang, played by Jonathan Majors, and really, I think that's why people are going to turn out to see this. More than ever before, this feels like we are simply watching an episode of television. We're doing nothing but setting up the next episode. So much of what happens here has no connection to the way these characters have been defined in the first two Ant-Man movies. And to that point, this could easily be edited down by reducing some of these non-sequitur action sequences, a few of these sillier sides. If they had gotten to the first big reveal that Michelle Pfeiffer gives to her family at about the halfway point of the film, you move that up about 10 minutes. And this whole film, which comes in at around two hours, could have easily been a long episode of a television show, just over an hour long. That's the amount of plot that is here. And speaking of which, do check out our coverage of Loki, where we first saw Jonathan Majors playing a variation of this Kang character. So, like I mentioned, these are all negative things I can say. It feels like a TV show. It doesn't develop the characters in any meaningful way. It's purely disposable. I mean, honestly, of all the films that Marvel has put out, this one feels so utterly disposable. And it's funny because I can make the same argument with Love and Thunder, the Thor film, which I did enjoy more than this one, at least maybe because there seemed to be more stakes there. But really, so many of the recent MCU films feel like they're disposable. And this is maybe the most egregious version of that. Enormous, enormous things happen here. And then still we have this television-like episodic reset to normal by the end of it. And still, somehow this machine is successful enough where for whatever reason, I have enough affinity for this universe and for these characters that I did enjoy it. I'm on board. I was relatively on board with this. I do worry though. I do worry that I will begin to fatigue if we have another four, five, six films that seem like they're just more set up for the inevitable Avengers finale. And as I mentioned before, this film really does feel at this point, like it is purely designed to pop up on Disney Plus and be watched as if it's just the next episode of a show to set you up for then the next episode of the show. It does make me very curious to see season two of Loki, Loki season one, a show I enjoyed very, very much, and maybe the most successful post-Endgame Marvel film. I guess you can argue the Spider-Man film too, if you do include that, No Way Home, as part of this canon as well. I guess you would almost have to. But of the Disney-produced films or series, I mean, The Loki Show is probably the only one that I have an unqualified rave for, and it does make me look forward to that as well. Another positive here is Jonathan Majors himself, Initially, there had been some negative reviews for early reactions to the film. Some critics got to see it early. And they said, well, the one reason you want to see this is for Jonathan Majors. And then I feel like when the film actually came out, there was this kind of head scratching as like, what is Jonathan Majors doing here in his performance as Kang? I come out on the side where I did find this Kang performance pretty tantalizing. He does underplay things. He comes at the character in a very interesting way letting you see a pensive and moral character, and then yet this kind of erratic hothead as well. And that all doesn't seem chaotic. It seems intentional that it's part of this egomaniacal uh, character who nonetheless, and this is the mystery of this series, is he potentially the hero of this? Because this goes back to, once again, Loki, introducing this idea that if chaos would destroy everything, if he knows this for a fact, he might be wrong, by the way, but if he does truly believe that chaos is going to destroy all universes, then this might be a brutal but necessary pruning of all those timelines, which as Michelle Pfeiffer mentions here, could be killing trillions of people, but is it the lesser of two evils? And that is not answered here, by the way. That still is left ambiguous. And I do like that as the premise for this cycle of films. Now, I appreciate that, I see that big picture. I see them laying that out. But this film itself is just one disposable action sequence after another. There's a lot of comedy here. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. I guess you just have enough of every kind of comedy, enough of every kind of action sequence that something is going to hit with somebody. But it really does feel like this is kitchen sink filmmaking. And for me, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but I could, if someone comes to me and says, I can't believe you enjoyed that film, it was just chaotic and discombobulated and annoying to me from beginning to end, I'd say I could completely appreciate where you're coming from. So I'm not sure what side of the line you're going to land on, but my general opinion would be, this is not something you have to run out and see in a theater. You could uh, definitely watch this at home if you have a nice TV screen, wait for it to be available on Disney+. It'll probably be available within two months. Wait it out. Uh, if you see in the theater, if you're a diehard Marvel fan, it could be 50-50, whether you come out on the positive or negative side of this. And it remains to be seen. Still, we're just wrapping up phase four, a very disappointing phase of films since Endgame, I think, other than the Spider-Man No Way Home, which was a, obviously a massive, massive success, and the Loki TV series on the TV side. But this continues to be pretty shaky here as we kick off a new phase of the series. All right, on to my Valentine's Day recommendations. Okay, so everybody here, mostly, you're probably here to listen to our zombie-adjacent The Last of Us series. So I have two, count them, two, Zomcoms, romantic comedies with a zombie component. And my first recommendation is Warm Bodies from 2013 This film stars Nicholas Holt as the zombie, Teresa Palmer as his love interest, and this is based on a YA novel by Isaac Marion and directed by Jonathan Levine, and this takes place in a future post-zombie apocalypse where Teresa Palmer lives in some gated, protected community, and her life intersects Romeo and Juliet style with Nicholas Holt's character R, who is a zombie- But somehow, in connecting with Teresa Palmer's character, Julie, Juliet, get it, or Romeo, get it, something awakens inside of him, something like life itself. And he starts to become less zombie-ish and protect her even from the other zombies. And then what plays out is this Romeo and Juliet story with this zombie and this girl, living girl. And it's pretty corny and it's pretty silly, but it is pretty sweet. And I honestly did enjoy this. If you're in the right mood, if you're looking for something romantic, I do recommend a surprising zombie romantic comedy. Yep, it works, everybody. And you can watch Warm Bodies on Peacock. My second zombie romantic comedy is Little Monsters from 2019. And this one you can watch on Hulu. The main reason to watch this film is because Lupita Nyong'o gives a great, charming, hilarious performance as a schoolteacher who takes a class of children on a field trip, and just coincidentally, a zombie apocalypse breaks out during the school trip, and seeing Lupita Nyong'o try to maintain this semblance of normalcy, don't look over there, kids, (laughs) as these horrible, vicious zombie murders are occurring all around them, is just hilarious and charming, and if you like Lupita Nyong'o, you're just going to have a whole new appreciation for her comedic chops here in this film. And it's also a romance. Along for the ride is a slacker. Alexander England is the actor who I've not seen anything before. And he's along for the ride mostly because he's attracted to his nephew's teacher, Lapita. And he, this slacker layabout, is suddenly forced to care about someone other than themselves to protect these children. There is that kind of traditional structure of a romantic comedy where a guy has to step it up, has to be a better version of himself to win over the girl, all set in the context of this gory zombie apocalypse that's breaking out. And this is really charming. I like it a lot. Low stakes, an inexpensive. Australian, I believe, or New Zealand, but I believe Australian production. A lot of fun. It's available on Hulu. So if you and your spouse like sci-fi or horror, especially if you like horror comedies, definitely check this one out. Okay. Moving away from zombies. And speaking of multiple universes, and also the actress, Catherine Newton, who's the new Casey Lang in the Ant-Man movies. There is a time loop romantic comedy, very low budget, available on Amazon Prime. The movie is The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. And this is about a character, Mark, played by Kyle Allen, an actor that I've never seen in anything before, by the way, who is stuck in a time loop, reliving the same day over and over and over again. And one day at the pool while reliving the day, yet another cycle, he notices that Margaret, played by Catherine Newton, also is stuck in this loop with him. And they develop a friendship and then a romance. And this is completely cliched and, by the way, pretty low budget. So the stunts are even sub-Groundhog Day levels of complexity as far as creating these time loop type hijinks. But the chemistry between these two, Kyle Allen and Catherine Newton, is really, really charming. Like this romance really works because of the charisma they have. And that's the recommendation for you. I don't have any other, there's no crazy plot twists. There is actually a twist in the story, which I obviously won't reveal here, but it's nothing too surprising, nothing too shocking. It does serve as a metaphor for having to grow up and see the world as more than your own limited. Per view but that's not the reason to watch this you know that's no different than Groundhog Day for example the differentiator here the thing that gets it recommended is this really strong chemistry between this couple which makes it just totally charming I really enjoyed this film if you like time Loop type stories and you're looking for something romantic to watch I would recommend this one and I will give you the exact same recommendation for another time Loop romantic comedy this one is even funnier this one's even more over the top this one has big special effects and it has a much more famous cast. It stars Andy Samberg, Kristen Miladi as our primary couple, just some of the recognizable faces here in this film called Palm Springs, in which Andy Samberg goes to a wedding out in Palm Springs and is stuck in a time loop. And of course, as is always the case with these films, finds out that someone else is stuck in that time loop with him also, Kristen Miladi. Now, in this case, it's more of an active situation, although he does try to prevent her from getting trapped in this situation with him. This is much more action-packed. This has much more over-the-top comedy. As I mentioned, the other film on a lower budget and let lower stakes doesn't have some of the big budget or big er budget, I should say. It's still a relatively small budget uh, that Palm Springs has. But once again, it's utterly charming. It's very, very funny. If you haven't seen this one, you really should check it out. It came out right as the pandemic hit. There was a lot of really strong reviews early on. It went straight to Hulu. did not go into theaters, obviously, due to the pandemic. And I really do feel like people probably have heard of this film, but never actually went and watched it. I do recommend that you do catch up with it. So once again, if you like time loop romantic comedies, Groundhog Day, for example, these are two recommendations for you. One, Palm Springs, available on Hulu. And the other one, The Map of Tiny Perfect Things on Amazon Prime. Okay, finally, let's get into the breakdown of this most recent episode of The Last of Us the sixth of 10 episodes, Kin. Before I get into the breakdown, I'm just going to preface all of this by saying that I have had my concerns with the direction of the show, disagree with some of the perspectives, some of the cynicism that I feel is there in the show or in the material, original material perhaps, but completely unqualified praise for this particular episode, which I thoroughly enjoyed for many reasons. As the episode begins, we are three months in the future three whole months, big jump in time. We are in a snowy locale, turns out to be Wyoming. So this has been quite a slow progress through Nebraska, I guess. We see a hunter returning to his cabin where his wife is there, and we hear Joel before we see him. This whole interaction is very entertaining. This jaded married couple, they've probably been down this road before, and they know, unlike some of these probably dangerous scavengers that come through here These folks are really not as hard as they make themselves out to be, especially since he has this young girl in tow. Honestly, if it was me, I would just be happy to see some young people, (laughs) some younger people around. (laughs) They're entertained by her foul mouth and her attitude. And they pass the test. They both tell Joel exactly where they are on the map. He wants to know if there's a Firefly camp nearby. They say they don't know anything about it but do warn them that there's a river and don't cross the river. Anybody who crosses the river ends up dead, whether they're infected or not. It's the river of death. They head out. They're on foot. They've lost a truck somewhere along the way. Probably part of the reason that it's been taking them so long to make this trek. Ellie steals one of the rabbits. Joel doesn't want her to take it, but he doesn't really protest that much. They do need to eat after all. Also, I'm pretty sure that Joel's trying to set a good example because not that long ago, he would have killed anybody he ran into and taken all their food. He was a straight-up scavenger. Now, early here in the episode, we also see Joel have what could be signs of a heart attack, but we find out later this is a panic attack he's having. And we'll understand why later in the episode. They do some bonding here as they eat their rabbit. He lets her take a sip of his whiskey. She still doesn't like it. If I have any minor critique here early in the episode is that after three months, three months on the road together, I think a lot of this bonding would have already happened. But Once again, Joel may very well have a wallop. He did lose his daughter. He has also lost Tess, and maybe he's afraid of losing one more person. During this night camp, Joel confesses that if the world was better tomorrow, if they're able to turn Ellie's blood into a cure, and this thing actually went away somehow, what would he want to do? He says he wants to live on a ranch and have sheep, primarily because sheep are quiet We also find out that Ellie thinks that Sally Ride is the coolest astronaut name ever, which it is when you think about it, pretty cool name. She also mentions here that she had tried to save Sam's life with her blood and it didn't work. Joel, of course, mentions that it wouldn't have been that simple. They go to sleep and we see that Joel is having nightmares. Apparently, this is normal. When he wakes up in the morning, he's a little annoyed that Ellie has gone off on her own with the rifle to do some hunting or some scouting it's interesting that he still has not taught her how to shoot properly, how to hunt, how to be more self-reliant. It's as if he's trying to save her from having to do these things, but they're out there on their own. God forbid something happens to to Joel. She is not prepared. They do more bonding here as they walk on the trail. I do enjoy most of this conversation. I don't know if all of it's from the original game or if some of it's been accentuated by the writers here on the show, but this is an entertaining conversation bunch of exchanges here that you can only imagine this has been going for months now that they have these conversations probably mostly inane I mean what would we do in those circumstances she mentions to him that he's never taught her how to prepare the rabbit or hunt even and he says I think the hunting would be okay for you but the dressing would be the hard part which is, of course is the gutting and preparing of the meat she makes the funny observation why do they call it dressing why don't they call it undressing <laughs> they're walking along this river is it the river of death they actually wonder they come across a dam. And he doesn't know how electricity works. People, come on now. The water moves the turbine. The turbine moves the magnet. The magnet pushes the electrons through the cables. Electrons, people, that's why it's called electricity. By the way, cool experiment. If you've never done this with your kids, get a magnet, put it on a wheel. You can find pictures of this online. Get some copper wire, Make a bunch of loops of it, tape them together, and then move the magnet within it, attach it to, for example, a flashlight light bulb, and you'll see that light bulb light up. Teach your kids how electricity works. Joel should have gotten this lesson a long time ago. Then he could have taught Ellie. Important that this dam exists, by the way, we find out later, that there is a local community that is using this for electricity. They know how electricity works. During the second day of their hike, they're surrounded by a bunch of men on horseback, They have a dog sniffing around to check if they're infected or not. Joel passes, of course, but then he worries. He worries that the dog is going to smell something on Ellie, but she passes. She passes the test, but that only buys him a few more seconds. They'll kill him if he's there for any other nefarious reasons. And he says, I'm here to meet my brother. And the leader of this group asks, what's his name? Turns out she's married to his brother. They take him into town and behind this fortress on this mountaintop, is a fully functional city. They have lights, they have farming, they have created or recreated most of what society used to be. And there's a moment here in the show that there could be a normal world again. If that isn't heartening enough, Joel has a sweet reunion with his brother.
1: Tommy! fuck you doing
0: i came here to save you <laughs> <laughs> ellie and joel sit down to a hearty meal and they are both very happy to have it ellie even says i don't think i've ever had a proper meal i mean this looks delicious you have some stew you have some soup something to drink you got some pie my my goodness, pie. Could you imagine living in this world and suddenly having a slice of pumpkin pie? We get our debrief during this lunch. Maria is, seems to be the one of the main leaders of this community or a commune, as she calls it. I do very much like the sequence where Tommy is laying out how this place works. And Joel goes, oh, so communism. And Tommy goes, no, it's not like that. <laughs> and Maria says, we live in a commune. It's communism. <laughs> Tommy's Wife, Maria, played by Rutina Wesley, very recognizable to HBO series regulars who saw her in True Blood, of course, and for the past four years or so, she's been on the series Queen Sugar as well. Maria almost seems hesitant to have Joel and Ellie amongst them, but I have to assume it's more so because of Joel's reputation or the stories that she's heard from Tommy rather than A general hesitation with bringing in anyone into the commune, which at first that's kind of what it felt like to me. Because if that was the case, then how did these people show up? Because in her own definition of this community, these are people who stragglers who happen showing up little by little. So I guess if you make the cut, if you aren't infected, if you aren't ruthless, you do join the commune. Joel, of course, still has much more of that ruthless mindset, wants to have some alone time with his brother to kind of decompress. He mentions, if you want some family time, she is my family. They take a tour of the compound. It's more than a compound. It's a whole city, actually. Tommy explains how they keep the place clean. They keep out scavengers and vandals. There's relatively few infected around, so they're able to pick them off from a distance. And they're the community that's been leaving those dead bodies out there too. So if you are the wrong type of person, they frighten you off. Do not cross the river or you'll end up dead which once again does make me wonder, how are they recruiting these folks? Also tellingly, they mentioned that they do not make radio contact, another way to keep themselves protected, which of course is the reason that Tommy and Joel have not had any communication for quite some time. And of course, there is a knowing look between the two of them. That's why Joel made this whole trick, because of radio silence. Their electricity, of course, as I teased earlier, is coming from the dam. They rotate jobs, whether it's maintaining the horses, and they have this communist- ideal for the moment. And I do worry it may be just be momentary given the tone of this show. But for this moment, this is definitely an oasis. Maria takes Ellie to get a change of clothes and freshen up and Tommy and Joel go to the bar to have a few drinks. In this initial interaction, Joel is not forthcoming with Tommy. Tells him that Tess is doing well. Tells him Ellie's actually connected to the Fireflies. He's been paid off to make this trip with her. And under that pretense, tells Tommy that he needs to get her to one of the Firefly encampments. Tommy tells him there's one in Colorado, not that far right over the border at the university. Joel is still trying to do his tough guy act here. And he asks Tommy, hey, the two of us, we head out tomorrow. We head out to that university Firefly encampment. It'll be easy. I came all the way out here. You can make this small trip. And this is a really interesting conversation. He confronts Joel with the fact of the terrible people they were, the terrible things they did, and that now he was in a community. Where he's happy. He can have a life here. We murdered people. And I don't judge you for it.
1: We survived the only way we knew how. But there were other ways. We just weren't any good at them. If you knew the shit that I've been through, Tommy, trying to find you these last few months. I'm gonna be a father. Maria's a few months long now. So I just gotta be more careful. Be honest, I'm scared to death. But I don't know, I I feel like I'd be a good dad. Guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. That's all you got? What else am I supposed to say? Just because life stopped for you, doesn't mean it has to stop for me. Go grab some supplies and be out of your hair in the morning.
0: First of all, this confrontation with Joel, that there was a different way, as I've mentioned before in these recap episodes, it feels like we haven't seen that other way. So the idea that, yes, you can collaborate. Yes, we do not have to just kill and loot. We can also build. And of course, more importantly, is this idea of having something to live for. Tommy now has something to live for, which makes him scared. That's where the fear comes from. In the featurette at the end of the episode, the writer of the show mentions that very fact that Ellie feels weaker because Joel is not with her. She needs Joel to feel strong. And ironically, Ellie makes Joel weak. He cannot be as ruthless when he's there, worried about her well being and worried that he can't protect her. And now here we have Tommy suddenly wanting to have this family, wanting to raise a family, and afraid of losing it all. After this confrontation, Joel, again, has a panic attack. After Ellie's shower, she finds some gifts from Maria, including a menstruation cup. (laughs) I guess when you're out on the road, it's more convenient than tampons. (laughs) I say this as someone who probably shouldn't talk about the topic or has no experience in the topic, but I do want to call out the fact that it does make me appreciate, and honestly, it's crazy. The first time I've probably seen in any of these shows or movies What a total pain in the ass that menstruation is in the context of the shows. Of course, here I am, an ignorant man talking about this. You think about The Walking Dead, obviously, after decades of being on the road, people have run out of feminine hygiene products and never even crossed my mind what a total pain in the ass that whole process would be. So there's my male privilege for you. I do like the fact that this small scene here in the series has made me contemplate that for maybe the first time. In the context of one of these post-apocalyptic shows, Ellie goes across the street to meet with Maria. She notices a chalkboard with some names on them, and she offers to trim her hair. Ellie does not want to cut her hair, but she says, it's just a trim, just to get out the split ends. My daughter's the exact same way, by the way. She mentions the names on the chalkboard and believes them to be Maria's children. Maria says, only one child. The other one was actually Joel's daughter in those three months and more of traveling together, Ellie still did not know that Joel had lost his daughter. She asks her if she used to be a hairdresser in her previous life. Turns out, no, she was a DA. Maria susses out that Ellie's keeping secrets and also warns Ellie about Joel. Ellie gets confrontational mentioning that Tommy did some pretty bad things too. It's questionable as to how everybody's opinions of everybody are so biased by the circumstances they're in and the reality they wanna believe. But it does give everybody an opportunity to see each other in a new light. Maria is actually okay with Ellie keeping secrets. She tells Ellie, you're right to not share your secrets with me. Be very careful who you trust. And then she lightens the mood and says, we're going to go see a movie tonight. What another cultural shock this is to see this really beautiful scene of everybody watching the goodbye girl of all things. That's all you could find. These kids want to watch the goodbye girl. <laughs> this is a pretty young audience here, by the way. They couldn't find a DVD with the Goonies or something. And it's movie night, What a cultural shock after months on the road and months before that, living in the drudgery of the quarantine zone of Boston. Joel is not at the movies. He is at a workbench. I guess this is maybe another Easter egg to the video game where much of the time is spent fashioning weapons at work tables. Joel is stocking up supplies for the next day, and Tommy wants to have another conversation with him. Doesn't like the way they left things. And then we have another really essential conversation here, not only this episode of the show, but maybe in the show itself. What is this?
1: She's immune. She got infected, but she didn't get sick. Tommy, I saw her get bit myself. That was months ago. Months. She's immune. It was Marlene. She hired us to smuggle her to some fireflies. It went bad. Tess got bit. She made me swear to take the kid. It was her dying wish. What the hell was I supposed to do? We made it as far as K.C. And then, you know, she saved my life there from another kid. Five years ago, I would have destroyed him, but she had to shoot him to save me, 14 years old, because I was too slow and too fucking deaf to hear him coming. I saw a man kill his own brother to save her while I just watched. You think I can still handle things, but... I'm not who I was. I'm weak. Lately, there are these moments where the fear comes up out of nowhere, and... my heart... feels like it stopped. And I have dreams. I just know that when I wake up, I've lost something. I'm failing in my sleep. It's all I've ever done. It's failure. Again and again. I'm just gonna get her killed. I know it. I know it. And I have to leave her. Joe. I mean, it's why you took off on me, right? To make up for the things we did. Well, here's your chance. To bring your kid into a better world. You're younger than me. You're still strong. You said it yourself. You'll come back. You have to take her. You can't tell anyone, not even Maria. Tommy, you're the only one I trust. If anyone else sees those bites on her, what's under her skin, they'll shoot her. It's the last thing I'll ever ask of you. I swear.
0: And in this moment, you realize the sheer terror that Joel has been living under, the fear that he will fail Ellie, the fear that this is the salvation of the world and he's going to blow it, the fear of losing yet someone else, the fear of being alone. Tommy does agree to escort Ellie to Colorado the next day, first thing in the morning. Joel goes and checks in on Ellie. Ellie found the diary of the girl who used to live in the house she's staying in. Rather than being nostalgic for the world she missed, she seems irritated and maybe jealous that in that world, all you ever needed to worry about what shirt, what what skirt, and what boy liked you or not. We had seen that Ellie had left the movie theater, once again, maybe rather than being wowed by the luxury of this community, feeling alienated from this comfortable world that she's never been a part of. And apparently, although we didn't see it, She had found Tommy and Joel talking and feels betrayed by Joel trying to pawn off the trip the next day to Tommy. And what are you so afraid of?
2: I'm not her, you know. Maria told me about Sarah and...
1: No. Don't say another word. I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel. But I have lost people too. You have no idea what loss is. Everybody I have cared for has either died or left me.
0: Everybody fucking except for you! So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody
1: else because the truth is, I would just be more scared. You're right. You're not my daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad. Now come Dawn, we're going our separate ways.
0: Come Dawn, Tommy comes to get Ellie, but when they get to the stables, Joel is there, just there to pick up one of the horses, but hey, since he's there, he decided to stay a little bit longer and give her the option. As soon as he gives her the option, she's like, you're coming with me, and the decision is made. Tommy, of course, feels a relief, and I guess it always had to be this way. Tommy tells him, it should be a pretty easy ride. Keep your eyes peeled for any scavengers, and they say their goodbyes again. Now, here at the end of the episode, we get a bunch of really just great scenes of bonding once again, a pretty hilarious sequence where Joel is trying to teach Ellie how to shoot. She's convinced that this sight is no good, and of course, Joel gets it on the very first try. I like this very simplified view of economic philosophies, that there are basically two ways to look at things. Some people want you to own everything. Some people want you to own nothing. (laughs) It's basically capitalism or communism. It's a little more complicated than that, but this is Economics 101. She asks him, what kind of person were you? Some people wanted to own everything.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and Some people didn't want anyone to own anything at all.
1: Which one were you? Neither. I just did my job. Which was building? That's right. Houses, stores, that kind of thing. We were called contractors. The contractor. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we were cool. Everybody loved contractors.
0: Nice. (laughs) I love this idealized version of the contractor. Everybody loved contractors. I guess you never really hate your contractor unless he takes too long to do his work or he's billed you too much. But in general, yeah, yeah who, who can complain about contractors if they're doing a good job? <laughs> so it's an even funnier joke soon thereafter. It's another great definition of how football worked. They're talking about how, yeah, you basically get a first down, you get another 10 yards. goes, that's pretty much it. Just forward progress, <laughs> but violent, very violent. After a five-day ride by horseback, they arrive at the university. This is a beautiful set. I don't know, special effects or a facade that they've built for this building, or a combination of both, beautifully showing this desiccated remainder of the university. Joel also revises that if he could be anything truly, he wouldn't be a sheep farmer, he'd be a singer. We'll see if we get to hear him sing before the end of the show. Don't know, Petra Pascal such a talented guy, not sure if he can sing. I would assume so. Some of these multi-talented actors have been trained for everything, including singing. We see wild apes maybe test subjects rampaging around the campus, very cool imagery here, but the place has been deserted. does not seem to have been overrun by the infected. It seems like they've just strategically moved on to another location. They find a map that seems to indicate that everyone's headed to Salt Lake City, which I presume would be their next destination, but I have a feeling that's not going to be the direction of the show, at least not yet. They hear some voices outside, and they try to sneak out the back of the building. Joel kills one of these raiders, the one that first approaches him, but doesn't even notice that he's been stabbed During the altercation, they jump on horseback and ride out of town, too fast for the rest of the Raiders to catch up with them. They seem to just be on foot. Joe collapses to the ground, bleeding out, Ellie terrified, crying over him, and the episode ends. Pretty much unqualified approval of this episode. I loved seeing this variations of survival here on the show. We still see the scavengers. We still see all the darkness, obviously. The risk is constantly there that all these people have built this new community could lose it all. The disease still exists. These ravagers still exist. But those moments of hope, those moments of a new world being rebuilt. And of course, just reinforcing the fact that maybe, just maybe Ellie could be the way to a brighter future. So I like the complexity of that. And of course, love the complexity, loved seeing Tommy so conflicted, seeing his brother so happy to see his brother, afraid of who he was when he was with his brother, afraid of reconnecting with that part of himself, afraid of losing this new family that he has, of becoming the person that Joel is having lost after having lost his daughter. And of course, Joel, letting his guard down just momentarily here on this long trip and in confronting his own internal demons, having these panic attacks and these emotional breakdowns. And where do we have things now? What is Ellie going to do? If I had to predict, first of all, scenes coming up, we see primarily Ellie's origin story back in the QZ, being groomed apparently to be a military officer and how she got that initial bite And who she lost along the way. But in the chronology of the show, where is Joel going to get medical assistance? They're a five-day ride away from Wyoming and even further from this Utah location, potentially. It all remains to be seen. I am very, very curious to see where the show goes. Once again, I have not spoiled myself on the video game, so this is all new to me. I am pretty certain Joel does not die here, but where does their assistance come from? Remains to be seen. And I very much want to know. Four more episodes. The show, as I mentioned in an earlier recap, a phenomenal success ratings-wise for HBO, renewed for a second season. And theoretically, a third, the storyline of the two video games, there are two video games, has been pitched as a three-year arc. So I'm pretty sure we'll see all three seasons of this show. So what did you think? Are you enjoying the show? Drop us a line. Need some introduction at gmail.com. Love to hear your feedback. If you're catching an early version of this episode, the episode ends here. But if you're catching it a little bit later, I will be discussing Celia's opinion of the episode. And that conversation will begin right after the music. All right, Celia, before we get into Discussing this episode of the show, I wanted to let you know that Babylon. Do you know Babylon?
2: I haven't seen it yet.
0: It's coming to Paramount Plus tomorrow. So just letting everybody know, check out Paramount. Check out Babylon. This movie is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Damien Chazelle. By the way, I loved Whiplash. thought so Whiplash is great. I loved La La Land. I know some people don't like that film. I love La La Land, but this film is so over the top. It's so ridiculous. Within the first three minutes, this isn't a joke. Within the first three minutes of the film, there is an elephant defecates onto the camera, so you get to see it in close-up. And then just one minute later, someone is urinating into someone's face <laughs> at a party. Wow. That <laughs> that's, sounds that's, that's the first three minutes of the movie. <laughs> that sounds like uh, you know. It's and that's just the beginning. That's only the beginning of the film. And it's like this uh fictionalized version based on some loosely based on some actual historical events of this uh, the silent era of Hollywood before the studios got involved. And um, this is like Margot Robbie and uh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's not great in it. He has a few good scenes in it. Margot Robbie's very good in it. Anyway, it is definitely worth watching. It is crazy. It's extremely long. It's incredibly over the top. It is like watching The Wolf of Wall Street, for example, that kind of energy, but It's not good, (laughs) but it's definitely interesting. And by the way, Damien Chazelle is such a great filmmaker that this is all very watchable, very exciting to watch. And by the way, even though I don't think this is a good movie, by the way, not a good movie, it absolutely, undoubtedly has two or three of the absolute best scenes of any movie. You'll see there is one scene where they're trying to record sound for the first time where Margot Robbie... And she's a silent film actress and all of a sudden she have to hit your mark because the microphone's in a specific place. No one could be wearing metal because it creates this feedback loop on the sounds. And like getting this one shot done, they have to shoot it over and over and over again. This scene goes on forever and it's so hilariously funny. and has one of the craziest punchlines. Anyway, that scene alone is worth the price of admission, but wow, what a mess. And I have a big question, mark as to like, why even make this film? honestly but uh we'll have save that conversation until you've watched it
2: i am morbidly fascinated
0: oh it's so definitely I'm it's
2: going to watch it
0: yes this is absolutely i recommend it for people who were curious about this film i definitely recommend you watch it i'm not saying it's good just want to be clear about that but i definitely recommend you watch it this is going to be years from now people will be like that's like one of the movies of the year not cuz it was great because it's going to be one of those i can't believe they made that movie <laughs>
2: I want, I've always wanted to see it. I just
0: haven't gotten around to it. It's unfortunate the film isn't better because it could have been really, really good. And uh, that's unfortunate because I really do applaud someone like really just going for it, just go for it. Like, you know, he had a couple of hugely successful films he pretty much has a blank check right now he can probably make a more conservative movie next time but they were giving him the green light to make this incredibly expensive movie about the silent era of movies like who's going to see this thing by the way i if someone told me that this is like one of their favorite movies years from now i'd be like yeah i could understand it i would rather take a crazy crazy minor kind of major train wreck that this film is i'll take that over some mediocre film that was mildly entertaining that you forgot you ever saw like 15 minutes after you exit movie theater i'll take this over that any day of the week so (laughs) anyway so check it out anybody it's available on paramount plus if you have paramount plus check it out you won't be you won't be bored (laughs) you will definitely not be bored so (laughs) all right so with that uh kind of recommendation out of the way i didn't want to let people know that was
2: that that a recommendation (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, it's more like kind of an announcement that it's going to it be- It sounds
2: like a warning.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, the fact that I told you what the first three minutes of the film are like, you that may be enough to opt out immediately. It's almost like he, you know the, the filmmaker's giving you a warning there right off the, the top of the gate, although nothing else in the film is that extreme, but it gets pretty extreme, I got to tell you. So it is definitely worth a watch, like I said, just as a curio, if nothing else. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention to you that you should check out, I will definitely be reviewing this in the weekend episode, The Consultant on Amazon Prime. So this is a workplace horror, sci-fi maybe, series based on a book that came out a few years back. It stars Christoph Walsh as a consultant. He comes in to fix up businesses, basically. gets brought in and he's like very good at what he does, but apparently he has a extreme ways of making your business function properly. So it's a comedy and it's a very, very dark comedy. From seeing the trailer, it kind of gives me severance vibes. So I'm very curious to see if this is going to quench my severance withdrawal until that comes back. And that's coming out on Thursday. Oh, on Thursday.
2: Thursday. Okay. So,
0: And I think the whole thing is going to come out at once. So I probably won't be able to watch all of it, but I'll watch some of it and give it a review. And if you want to check it out also, maybe we can touch base on it next week. Sounds fun. Yeah, it definitely sounds fun to me too. I like Christoph Waltz in general. All right. So something else I could recommend, I think you'll recommend it as well. This week's episode of The Last of Us, Kin, it's called. And I guess it's Kin because we have family, right? We have the reunion of Joel and Tommy. Tommy has a new family. This whole community is a new family. And of course, Ellie and Joel are becoming family as well. So this episode, Kin, what did you think of this?
2: I loved this episode. Yeah,
0: it's my favorite. It was
2: so wonderful. The connection between the two of them getting stronger, him reuniting with his brother. I like that there is a community out there. It's what I was talking about a few weeks ago when I said, I hope they just run around in weeds all the <laughs> right. time. And again, it reminds me of some other show that was on for a long time. <laughs> I do love that they found this community and that they're making communities throughout yeah. that for what whatever personality their communities have. I'm sure there's going to be different types that they're going to run into. I like that they found it. I also like... The slight dread I felt the entire time when they were in there with their guard down.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: That was making me nervous. But it was beautiful. Like the connections that were made were very beautiful. The tension in the entire episode, I think that's a great accomplishment. I didn't feel relaxed at all watching this.
0: I did. I simultaneously had my guard down, and but there was always those moments where I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't go bad. I hope this doesn't go bad.
2: That was my entire feeling the entire time. I hope this doesn't go bad. It's looking pretty friendly. It it looks like they finally get to take a shower without getting attacked <laughs> and they could get some new clothes and a haircut. Like even during that, I'm like, I hope this doesn't go bad.
0: She gets a and, menstruation cup more reusable than a tampon.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting. I you know <laughs> I did not know about those. Even I was like, what is that?
0: I mean, I, I I never thought about this, honestly. I actually pointed that out during the commentary. This show made me think about the fact that, yeah, in all these post-apocalyptic shows, what are these women doing, right, when they're menstruating, right? And uh, this show, in just that one scene, I'm like, I can't believe that the showrunners on this show have probably spent more time thinking about that in that one moment than like in all of these films that I've seen up until this point.
2: Yeah, interesting. It's never
0: addressed, so never addressed.
2: It was never addressed in the other thing that we are not going to keep mentioning. (laughs) Yeah. Am I allowed to say The Walking Dead? Because this does remind me of The Walking Dead. But it's what I said last week about on a much smaller scale, it's way more personal because it's them all the time. Right. I'm a little worried about what happened at the end of this episode. Is he dead?
0: No, I can't believe they would kill him now. No,
2: that's what I'm saying. But then I did watch the scenes, which I never do, but I watched them for next week and he is not in them.
0: That's a flashback, though. That's a flashback to when she first got bit. So
2: that's what I was saying to Carlos. I said maybe he's recuperating somewhere, and the entire episode is just based on her. And yeah, I don't know who's gonna rescue him. Yeah, what happened to him?
0: That's the question I have is I don't know who where he's gonna recuperate because. They are five days ride away from Wyoming, so she can't make it back. Even if she gets it back on the horse, how is she going to get him all the way up there? Five days, he's not going to make it. I mean, she could theoretically take him back to the actual um, college because they have surgical supplies there, but she probably doesn't want to do that because these uh, those um, raiders might still be there. So I don't know. I don't know who's going to rescue this guy. Someone's going to have to come and rescue him. <laughs> they
2: said that thing you don't like, you can't trust anyone. The only way people can betray you is if you let your guard down. If you trust or- them, yeah.
0: That's what Maria, yeah, Maria says that. That's it, me. yep. Maria is the actresses from uh, True Blood. Have you ever recognized her?
2: Yes, I did.
0: It was nice to see her again. She's apparently been on a show called Queen Sugar for like six years now. She's been pretty much since the end of True Blood, which I never saw the end of True Blood, by the way. You know what else I loved about this
2: episode? It was beautiful, yeah. I love beautiful episodes. It was amazing. The cinematography was fantastic. The mountains, it was gorgeous. It looked like they were on a father-daughter camping trip.
0: You know what else I loved on this in this episode? The comedy, so much humor. She's funny, that girl. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the, the comedy comes from multiple places. I like when they're giving Joel the tour of the compound. And she's saying, uh, so, you know, we switch jobs. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes someone takes care of the sheep. Sometimes people take care of the, you know, sometimes we do the farming. We just delegate work to different groups. And, you know, we're on a rotation. And uh, Joel goes, like communism. (laughs) (laughs) And Tommy goes, no, it's not like that. (laughs) And Maria goes, we live on a commune. (laughs) This is communism. (laughs) Ellie has a question when they head out on horseback about what what communism was. And he says, well, some people believe that you should own everything. Some people believe you should own nothing. And she asks him, so what side were you on? And he goes, I was on neither side. I just did my job. And she goes, what was that job? And he goes, I was a contractor. She's like, contractor. That's so cool. (laughs) Everybody must have loved The Contractor. And he's like, yeah, everybody did love contractors. <laughs> I just thought that's hilarious. Like that this romantic version of The, the Contractor. <laughs> the guy be, who like... puts up your sheet rocks like a superhero. The Contractor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think my contractors are superheroes.
0: There you go. I get exactly. very,
2: very happy to see contractors. Oh, thank God you're here. Yeah.
0: Don't get me wrong. Some people have nightmare stories with their contractors, but in general, you're pretty happy to have the contractor come over and patch the hole in your ceiling, right?
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, I've always been happy with any kind of contracting that's happening. When they show up, I just get excited that I don't have to try to figure it out. To me, they are superheroes, but the whole thing, the contractor sounds like something <laughs> yes. out of a Western and they're riding horses during the, that's this what she conversation- said. She- <laughs> And then all those people show up on horses, on these right. beautiful horses. Everything was very
0: pretty. Yeah, interesting that the dog didn't smell the infection on her. Why not? I thought he was
2: going to at least growl at her.
0: I mean, we we you can't really know what the dog's keying into. It could be her body temperature, whatever. So it, we you know who knows. He doesn't have language enough to, to explain to us exactly his skill.
2: I love Joel's coat in this. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the coat. He's got the
2: westerny kind of leather look going. I was like, "Where can I get that coat? Look at that!" This is leather. right out of the game,
0: by the way. Their clothing it's really I,
2: nice.
0: I was reading an article about this, and like their their clothing, I should say, is exactly out of the the video game. So it's like really exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's the, very um,
2: very nice.
0: There are two really great scenes here. I think. Which are maybe essential to the entire series. One is the second conversation. Actually, I guess three great pieces of dialogue. One is the first time he meets with his brother. And his brother is telling him that he like has something to live for now. He doesn't want to go off on these missions and telling Joel, stay here. Like you guys can just stay here. And this is before, of course, Joel has like laid out the real reason that they're on this trip. And uh, he says, I, you know, I'm nervous about being a father, but I think I'll be good at it. And Joel's like, we'll see, which is a terrible thing to say, obviously, considering (laughs) the circumstance they're in. But of course, then they have that second conversation where Joel lays out the fact that he's terrified. He's terrified that he has lost a step. She had to rescue him. He thinks he's putting her, she's putting her in danger. And if you see that little featurette at the end of the episode, I think it's really interesting that the writer of the show mentions the fact that Ellie feels weak when Joel's not around. She needs him around for her to feel confident. Meanwhile, Joel feels weak when Ellie's around because she, he has something to lose. When he was all on his own, he didn't care about anything. Now, all of a sudden, he is having panic attacks because he's worried that he's going to screw up this mission that he's on.
2: Something's wrong with him. I don't know if it's his heart...
0: I think it's just panic attacks. I think he's just having a panic Do you think it's a panic attack? I think so. I think it's just a panic attack.
2: I was hoping it wasn't like his heart where he could just have a heart attack at any second. And he was trying to pawn her off before yeah. he gets actually sick.
0: Speaking of that, they've been on the road for like three months now. He's still angry when she's going out with the rifle and he's telling her that she's not even a good shot. And I'm like, you've been traveling with this girl for 90 days, at least. There's been, you know, there was they, they were traveling even before then, before they got to Kansas City. So it's like four months or something they've been on the road. And by the way, why did it take them so long? They got to Kansas City in like weeks because they had a car, obviously. But they didn't get a car out of Kansas City. They've been on foot this whole time because it took them three months to go across one state. Like, have they just been walking this whole time? They couldn't find a car anywhere?
2: I thought they were walking because where would they get a car? They're like in the deep woods most of the time.
0: When they were outside of Kansas City, there were plenty of cars there. They just had to find one that they could fix up.
2: Maybe they did that and the thing broke down and they don't want to show us that part. Yeah. And then they had to start walking (laughs) again or they couldn't drive any further. Who knows?
0: Yeah. If I had um, to walk all the way across Nebraska, it probably would take me three months, which is approximately what they've done. (laughs) Because from Kansas City to across, you have to basically cross Nebraska to get to Wyoming. So it's like, yeah, they've been walking across all of Nebraska for the past three months. In the winter, apparently.
2: I thought that they were more anxious to get to where they needed to go than walking three months. Didn't I mean, it else more
0: have, urgent? What else are they going to do if they, they don't couldn't. have- their, Exactly. Yeah. If they don't have any transportation, what else are they going to do? You know, Now, at yeah, least they have a horse. True.
2: Well, I hope they don't have to walk much further. I mean, the baby's going to be born by the time they get to the next depot. Well,
0: they're going to Salt Lake City now, right? It's hundreds of miles away. They definitely- need some kind of transportation. Uh, or, I mean, they could do it on foot, but not with Joel's injury, obviously. So,
2: But they have a horse now to take care of, which I still
0: think is just more work. No, a horse can graze. That's all it has to do.
2: That's true. That's true. I don't know a lot about horses, but they have a horse now.
0: <laughs> horses used to run wild all the time. No one had to feed them.
2: <laughs> it's turned into a Western. I love it.
0: I think it is a Western. I mean, intentionally so, right? You see people walking into the sunset. They have cowboy hats on sometimes. It is a Western, right? That's very much what it is. I mean, Westerns, once again, we talked about how science fiction movies and Westerns are basically the same thing. It's about going to a frontier and then having to live in the wild or under new rules. That's basically every Western is, can you live in society or can you forge a new society in some unbroken ground? And that's what this show is too, right? It's like, it's just another Western.
2: I love it. I have to still keep going on about Pedro Pascal's acting abilities
0: yeah, when, that he when he runs into yeah. his
2: brother oh
0: yeah oh yeah when he yells out to him yeah
2: I just don't I don't, have and also when he words. like breaks
0: down when he breaks down
2: yeah, he's so likable. What a likable yeah. person. And then yeah. we do get some background. Apparently he's done some really bad things maybe killed off people we shouldn't have or didn't need to.
0: Yeah. They were scavengers. I mean, they were just yeah. like those, they they were the same people that he's afraid of You know, finding them now. And maybe that's part of the reason that he's so hyper vigilant about anybody and maybe mistrustful of people because he knew the type of person he was when he was out there, right? He would kill anybody for anything. He's the worst kind. He was like the worst kind of people probably. Until, yeah. uh,
2: and so was uh, his lady.
0: Yeah. Tess.
2: So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in, in a way it's at him reforming himself.
2: Why was this your favorite episode?
0: Oh, because it had all those things. You know, it had an actual community. It had comedy because, you know, that's just lines itself more with my philosophy on life that, yeah, people talk about, you know, surviving the Holocaust and stuff. They talk about the hilarious things that happened because, yeah, you need something to cling to. It's not just this grim you know if, if life was that miserable all the time then you would quit at some point right like something keeping you going is because you have to connect with your own humanity even in the worst of times and by the way that's how life is like people who have been through really horrible times sometimes they tell you about the wonderful things that happened to them under these like horrible miserable experiences because sometimes in the grimmest of times you know you have the most memorable or humane life things happen affirming. to you. Yeah, exactly. Because you know that life is at stake. It's very easy to take life for granted when you are luxuriating 24 seven, which is basically how we all live. You do appreciate those things. And I just felt the show was not giving me any of that. It was just giving me this kind of grim dr- dr- drudgery, not always, but oftentimes. And it made me feel like, so what's the point? <laughs> why are, like why fight if this is what life is, right? Like There's no reason to fight. And you needed to see the humaneness to make life worth fighting for. And I think you see it over and over again here. You see him bonding with Ellie. You see that, the joking you see the camaraderie you see these people who you know like marie said there was only a few of them there and then more people showed up and more people showed up and guess what they all showed up and they put up walls and they built farms and they ran electrical wires from the dam and look they are living well right like you don't have to just kill and eat each other there are other things in life beyond that only right and uh, and that's my point if life is just survival from one minute to the next then like life's not like worth living in a way so there has to be something more to it And uh, obviously there is, you know, that's what's kept us all going for millennia. Like I've said before, I'm not denying that people can't be absolutely terrible to each other. There just has to be more to life than that. And uh, the show illustrates it here. And of course, illustrates the weakness that it gives you sometimes where Marie, for example, is willing to like off people or whatever, because she's terrified of losing what she has. So that could be a trap of its own. But I just want the show to grapple with all these variations, not just the grim stuff.
2: What's your prediction there's only two episodes
0: left, right? Four. There's four more episodes. We're There's a four bit past-
2: more. Ah,
0: yeah, we're only that's a good. Past- I'm glad. Yeah, we're only a little more past halfway. I think next episode, I don't know. Like based on the coming attractions, if I had to guess, I wouldn't be surprised if we have the entire thing is an Ellie flashback, and they leave us in suspension as to whether Joel survives or not. But I can also imagine that you know someone shows up, is mending Joel. You know, trying to bond with this person or mistrustful of them or whatever, or maybe it's like a straggler Firefly member. And we still get the flashback obviously, but then we are seeing Joel in the present tense and it's going back and forth. Either one of those is likely, but then I do think Joel is going to survive.
2: Yeah. Well, I think he's going to survive because he goes, is he going to, is that it? And I'm like, they can. I mean, it's Joel. That would be too disappointing. You can't die this early on, even if he does, at some point die, but then they have season two. So he's definitely not dead. But then I was watching the scenes for next week, which I already said I don't like to do, but I had to do it. I think it's just going to be an Ellie flashback. But what I think is going on is that they went there to meet the fireflies, but they're not there. So we think, I think there's a few straggling fireflies left behind, maybe even waiting for them to arrive, knowing that Joel's on his way there with Ellie. There's got to be a couple of them left over waiting for them. I would wait if I was waiting for someone that important. And they are going to mend Joel and the whole thing is going to be about Ellie.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to see those pins on the board all heading to Salt Lake City because there's a lot of pins on that board. So there's a lot of these different uh, theoretically, if you follow the those arrows and assume that people have abandoned these other safe houses and they're all heading to one central location, you see them coming from the West Coast. Originally, apparently he was supposed to deliver her to California somewhere. They didn't even know where, somewhere on the West Coast. But now it looks like those West Coast arrows are also congregating in Salt Lake City. So they might be heading to some kind of central location where the Fireflies are organizing weird that they would leave this map out and about because, unless it's intentional, like they feel confident enough that they have a fortification and they're like letting people know that this is where we are, like come meet us. Because uh, I wouldn't want like these random uh, (laughs) scavengers showing up when they know where I am.
2: I feel like scavengers are going to find them anyway. This could be a thing like I was watching on The Walking Dead. It's either a trap or they want people to show up Right. and be part of them so it could be either yeah. one of those things it has to be either one of those things
0: yeah it wouldn't be like whoops did you throw away the map before you left oh no I left it out with all the locations pinned on it oh man yeah I really liked it I liked it a lot I'm curious to see how it goes uh, I have not spoiled myself on the game so I don't know how this wraps up the kids are playing the
2: game oh, like down the along? hall I walked in there and I said what is this game it looks so sophisticated it really does actually and they're telling me about it and i go i don't even want to know because it follows the story so they're playing yeah. that and it's really a good looking game
0: yeah that that's pretty old by the way that's that game has been around it for, looks for, great uh, it's like almost 10 years old now i think although it was remastered they're probably playing the remastered version yeah so that's uh that's where i landed on it i liked it very much it's definitely my favorite of the episodes we've seen okay so anything else you wanted to talk about recommend anything you watched?
2: You know what I did see lately? I saw, I think it's, yeah, A Son, as in what S. It's-, it's two. It's on Netflix, and it was, it was just this most beautiful family drama. It's about this guy who has a brother. He ends up going to prison for something he did, and then how that fractures the family, And that doesn't sound very thrilling, but the acting was amazing. The cinematography was very nice. The characters were really heartfelt. There was this massive tension going on when he exits from prison. Anyway, I recommend that was great. It's long, it's over two, two hours. Yeah. Did you find it?
0: I did. Yeah. It's a Chinese film, yeah. A Sun. And it's on Netflix.
2: It's so good.
0: I was completely riveted by it. It says crime drama. Is it? Is it? Is it yeah, it, a crime it.
2: There is a crime element. You see it right away. Actually, now that I think of it, it does go through the whole series. There's just so many other things happening off to the sides that you're not always like, oh, it's it's just about crime. It's about adapting and evolving and really just being able to deal with the situation there's a father-son dynamic that is very very strong
0: yeah that sounds interesting i'll check
2: it out you should i think you'd like it maybe even more than i liked it
0: i'll, I'll give it a i'll give it a look if i have time this week i watched the the ant-man movie which was eh it's okay i saw the, that um,
2: it's all right
0: yeah it was eh.
2: it's great <laughs> if you're
0: like 14 I don't even think it's great there. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I I reviewed it in this episode, but uh, I had heard it was terrible. I didn't think it was terrible. It really does feel like a TV show (laughs) at this point. A very, very expensive one. Yeah. So check out Babylon and check out The Consultants. And uh, maybe we'll talk about both those things next week.
2: Cool. I will.
0: All right. Talk to you soon.
2: (laughs) Bye.